Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. Now, for those of you that have been uh, following me on Instagram or also on my Facebook page, I have been saying for the last week that I'm, I have a major announcement, actually. The announcement, this all came about uh, sometime a couple of days ago, but a lot of my uh, potential students and even past students have been asking me when I'm going to bring the Stone and Tile inspection class to Florida. Well, it's set. I am going to be hosting the Stone uh, and, and Stone and Tile uh, Troubleshooting and Inspection Seminar in DeBerry, Florida, which is just north uh, of Orlando, on June 17th through the 20th. It's a four-day class, um, limiting the number of students that will attend. So if you want to attend, uh, go ahead and give me a call later to, or send me an email. We'll get you registered and signed up. I've already have a, a bunch of people asking about it already, so it's going to fill up fast. Now, this is unusual because I normally do these once a year only, and I do them in Las Vegas. This time I'm going to bring it to Florida uh, for midsummer, June, and uh, I'll probably do another one in Vegas in January of next year as well. But uh, for those of you on the East Coast that don't want to travel all the way out to the West Coast, this would be a great opportunity. So uh, the best thing to do is to give me a call at 321-514-6845. That's not the radio call-in number. That's my cell phone number. You can call me after the show or any time uh, this week. Also, if you want to send me an email, it's fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at Gmail. Uh, .com. I'd be more than happy to answer your questions via email uh, as well. So, uh, again, the special announcement is I'll be doing the stone and tile inspection troubleshooting class in Florida June 17th through the 20th. So uh, get signed up. It's a great class. Uh, if you want a lot of inf- or more information on the class, go to my website, stoneforensics.com, and just click on the training tab there, and there's a whole description of what we cover, etc. All right, today's show is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're not really going to talk too much about stone and tile, unless you have a question, and feel free to call in. Let me give you the call-in number, which is 323 870 3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you have a question concerning what I'm going to talk about here today or any other question concerning stone and tile, feel free to call me. But what I wanted to concentrate on today, and a lot of you have been asking me, Fred, how how did you become an expert in the field? You know, how, how do you go about getting expert work and what does it entail? So I thought I'd take a few minutes for this show and, and describe to you what an expert witness is, what we do as an expert witness, and you know what requirements are, just a, a couple of legal things as well. Now, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not going to give you legal advice here, but I'm going to tell you what I do uh, as an expert in the stone and tile industry. Uh, but before I get started, I want to kind of tell you an interesting story of how I got started in it. Well, I mean, obviously my background is, is in stone. And uh, I got a call probably, I don't know, 25 years ago from an attorney that uh, said they had a, uh, a trucker who uh, was unloading a slab, or actually should say helping unload a slab, and it fell on them, and they needed an expert. Well, since I teach fabrication classes, and I, one of the things we teach is safety, I was 
an expert they were looking for. So they asked me if I could come in and do a deposition. Now, at the time, I had no idea what a deposition was. So I said, so well, okay, what do I do? Well, we're just going to come in and we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Well, at that time, uh, I got done with this deposition. It was eight hours long. It was an entire day. I was exhausted. If I would have known then what I know now, and you would have given me the option to, okay, Fred, we're going to go into this deposition with these three attorneys, and they're going to question you and grill you for the next eight hours, or which would you have taken? I would have said, I want to go ahead and just get beat up because that'll only take a minute, and this deposition took eight hours. That's how I felt. Well, over the years, I've really learned to enjoy depositions simply because I know the game. I know the attorney's game. And one thing you have to remember if you're going to get into this line of work is that you know more than the attorney does. You know more than the jury does. You know more than a judge does because that is your particular expertise. So remember that. So one of the first things I want to talk about is, you know, what is an expert? Now, there's several types of experts. There's what we call a consulting expert, and there's what we call a testifying expert, and I've served both. A consulting expert basically will only consult on a case. In other words, you may get a call from an attorney that doesn't know if they have a case or not. You know, uh, Mrs. Jones is suing a fabricator because there's a crack in the countertop. You need to go out and take a look at it, determine is it a crack, do we have a case? And I've had that exact situation where an attorney wants to uh, is representing, say, a consumer. The consumer hires me, and I go out and I look at the countertop, and it's not a crack, and I go back to the attorney and say, hey, it's not a crack. The attorney, okay, case closed, I don't have a case. That's what a consulting expert will do. Now, an expert witness, or what we call a testifying witness, is going to be one that's going to go out, and we'll use that same example, do that inspection, come back and determine, well, it's not a, a flaw in this. I mean, it is a flaw in the stone. It's an actual crack. It probably occurred during installation. Then they're going to go in and do a deposition. Uh, you may go to court, and quite honestly, very rarely do they go to court. I think in my entire career doing this, 20-some-odd years, I've been in court maybe 20 times. Uh, and I've done hundreds of depositions. So, But basically, to qualify as an expert, I'm going to read you something that, that came right out of a journal. And it basically says, is an expert witness is someone who possesses some particular experience, training, education, or combination thereof that will aid a court in arriving at the truth of some particular matter. So... I've never, ever been denied being an expert, and I've been against some experts that, in my opinion, should not have been experts, but they were never denied an expert. So, you know, if you've got experience, if you've been in a business a number of years, uh, you don't have to have a formal education, per se, a college degree, but uh, if you have that experience, if you've been in that business, you can qualify as an expert. And you know, there are some things, what I'm, what I'm not going to do here is teach you what your expertise is. You know, you may be a fabrication expert, an installation expert, a restoration expert, a sculpturing expert. And as a matter of fact, a lot of what I'm talking about today not only applies to our industry, the stone and tile industry, but these, these rule these not rules, but these this advice I'm giving you on becoming an expert can apply to any field because I'm not telling you what your expertise is. I'm telling you what an expert does and some of the things that you're going to encounter as an expert. So 
That's the difference between a consulting expert and a testifying expert. And when you get that call, you need to ask that question. And one of the questions you need to ask uh, the attorney who's calling you is, are you looking for a testifying expert or a consulting expert? Now, a consulting expert can obviously turn into a testifying expert, and, and you, need, you need to know that. Um, are you qualified to be an expert witness? And I kind of touched on this in, in, a, in, in, in a second ago, but let me read you something else. Anyone who has a special knowledge due to education, skill, or experience can qualify as an expert witness. Any judge can consider you an expert based on your education, knowledge, special training, or experience in a certain area. It doesn't have to be all of those. It could be only one of those. You could have been a tile installer for the last 30 years. That would qualify you as an, as an expert. Although you have to be careful, and I tell my students this all the time, where you have to be careful is what we call conflict of interest. A conflict of interest is, let's say you sell stone, for example. You're in the, you know, you sell material, and you're called in, or you install the material as well, and you're called into a client that has a floor, for example, a stone floor, and your recommendation is to rip it out and replace it. Well, where the conflict of interest comes in is if, A, you're going to bid on replacing it, or, B, you're going to bid on selling them the material. That would be a conflict of interest. So if you're in the business, if you're selling material, if you're installing material, if you're a fabricator or you're a restoration contractor and you're going in to be an expert, you have to separate those two. Uh, you have to say, I, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm going to look at this particular project, yeah, even though it looks like a great opportunity for me to sell the material or install some material, fabricate some material, restore the material. Uh, you can't do that. That's considered a conflict of interest. And if this thing goes to a deposition phase or it just goes to a lawsuit, any attorney is going to just, you know, they're going to be all over you with a conflict of interest, and they may disqualify you. Um, so let's talk about what it takes to be an expert. Obviously, knowledge is everything. You have to know what you're talking about. And again, here I'm not going to tell you what you what you need to know. You need you know what you need to know, or you sh I should say you know what you know. The second thing you're going to need is confidence. Uh, you've got to be confident. You can't appear. You know, especially if you're dealing, if you ever get to a court case and you're dealing with a jury, you got to look confident. You got to know what you're talking about. Now, I don't mean be vain. I don't mean, you know, come off like you're God's gift to the stone and tile industry. Just be confident in your opinions. Uh, do you have the time? Uh, we're going to go over here a couple of different things that that you need to need to know when it comes to the time uh, that that you're involved. Um, you have to research. So just going in and doing an inspection is not enough. You may have to go back and research. A lot of times, almost every single time that I write a report, I base my opinion on things that I have researched. For example, going to the uh, design manual, going to the uh, NTCA manual, going to the Internet and looking at other sites. Those are all things that back up my opinion, so those require some research time, which, by the way, you're getting paid for. Uh, your opinion needs to be based on facts, and you have to look them up. So if you want to say that the lippage was greater than an eighth of an inch, I know that's extreme, uh, what's that based on? Who, who said it, 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 that's not industry, industry standard? And I'll talk about that in a minute, what industry standard truly is. Um, and you'll say, well, according to the uh, design manual, an eighth of an inch can't be any more than one thirty-second of an inch. So you've made a statement, and you've backed it up with an opinion. You have to be patient, 
And what I mean by patient is sometimes some of these cases, I've had cases go on for four to five years. And I'll go out, do an inspection, write a report, and then I'll I'll get a call three or four years after the fact saying, uh, okay, we're ready to uh, take your deposition. And I'm like, on what case? And they mentioned a case, and I can't remember it. I go back and I look at my records, and I'm like, oh, wow, that was three years ago. So, uh, again, you keep good records, of course. Um, are you comfortable speaking? And it doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a group of people because generally in a deposition you're talking to a couple of attorneys, a uh, court reporter. Uh, the only time you'd consider, I would consider speaking in front of a group of people would be if you're in court because in a court you're going to have a jury, you're going to have the judge, you're going to have the attorneys, you're going to have the attorney's assistants, you're going to have the court reporters, and you may even have an audience there. So, I mean, in that case, you want to be comfortable with that. Um, you'll need to be able to speak clearly and convincingly. Um, you know, you don't want to slur your speech. You don't want to talk low. So th- th- these are things you can be coached on as well. You'll also need to explain your subject in a clear, simple manner. Um, a lot of times I've been up against um, what I like to call engineering types or scientist types that get up there and they just baffle uh, the jury or the or the uh, attorneys uh, with a bunch of technical terms that they don't understand. You, you have to remember, you're the expert. We we know the terminology of our industry. We know the terminology of the stone and tile industry. You know your, your the, that those those key words. The attorney doesn't know. They might not know what lippage is. They might not know what thin set is. They might not know what mud is. So those are the type. They might even know the difference between marble and granite. Uh, so you need to educate. And to me, when someone asks me, what really does an expert witness do? Uh, we consult and we're, we're teachers. We actually train people and educate them uh, on a particular subject. Uh, so those things you have to remember. Uh, you're the expert. Remember that. Remain calm. Uh, a lot of attorneys have different personalities, and I'll go over those in a minute, but some will appear threatening. Some will try to play the good cop, bad cop on you. Uh, some will get in your face and start arguing with you. Remember, that's their job. It's not personal. Uh, I've had some attorneys that were so, um, I don't know what the word is, you know, dramatic. I guess the word would be they're hopping around and jumping around and getting red in the face. The veins are popping out of their neck, and I have everything I can do is to laugh in their face. But remember, they're not attacking. and They won't do that. They won't attack you uh, as an individual. They're not going to say things like, well, you're fat and ugly. Uh, that's not going to what they're going to say. They may say something like, do you really know what you're talking about? You know, have you ever installed tile? Those are the type of things that they will. So you want to keep cool. You want to keep calm. And you don't want to argue. So the last thing you want to do is is, is, is argue. So those are the some, some of the things you want to consider if you're thinking about becoming an, an expert witness or even a consultant for that matter. Now, the number one question I get all the time is, Fred, how much can I make as an expert witness? And you can make a lot. Uh, for an example, a doctor who's an expert witness can get 600 to to $1,000 per hour. Uh, I get 250 per hour. So I would say if I were to give you a price range for our industry, you're probably looking at a minimum of $150 an hour to maybe as much as $300 per hour. And I'll talk about that in a little bit of detail. And actually, I get into that in the class itself as to you know how to charge uh, per hour and uh, you know how much to charge, whatever. For example, uh, if I do an inspection, I have an eight-hour minimum inspect uh, minimum um, hourly rate. So if, if 
I have to go two hours away, it's still eight hours. If I have to go, you know, to California from here in Florida, I may charge more. My my hourly rate goes up. So uh, you can make some pretty decent 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 money doing that. So your fees are based on an hourly rate, generally not by the day, plus expenses. And I, I like to say I like to charge like an attorney does. You know, they charge by the hour. They charge for everything. That's what we do as a as an expert. There's some really good books out there if you're really interested in this. There's an organization out there called Seek, and it's spelled S-E-A-K-S, Seek, and they have a ton of books on expert witnessing and consulting. What you want to try to do, and this is something I've done my entire career, is avoid what they call the hired gun syndrome. And what that means is, you know, let's take an example. Let's say an attorney calls you up, and uh, you go, let's, let's take the example we used in the very beginning when it comes to the countertop with a crack. And you go out, and you look at this countertop, and it's not a crack. It's a natural vein. It's a natural fissure. But you go back to the attorney, and the attorney who hired you happens to represent the uh, consumer here, and they say, you know what, we want you to say this is a crack. Even though down deep you know it's not a crack, that's called the hired gun syndrome. If you're wrong, it's going to come back to bite you, but it's an ethical question, and I will never do that. I, you know, I've been lucky and, uh, and fortunate enough in, in some cases where I've actually been called by both sides, and I get to decide uh, what side I want to be on. That's rare, uh, but I've had cases that I've turned down because simply, hey, you know, and if you get in those situations, the best thing to do would be to say to the attorney, listen, you know, I cannot really formulate an opinion. Why don't you hire me as a as a consultant as a, instead of an expert, instead of a testifying uh, expert? I'm going to hire as a consulting expert. And you're going to go in. You're going to evaluate whether this is is a problem or not, in this case, a cracked countertop. And if you come back and it's not, well, then the attorney has a choice of either to proceed with the lawsuit, get another expert that will tell him it is, or go back to his client and say, hey, you know, you don't have a case. It's not a crack. Uh, so you want, you want to uh, be careful when it comes to that. Um, many attorneys will try to label you as that hired gun, and by doing that and knowing you're right, you know, by you know, it's a crack, and I here's why it's a crack. You know, you're 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 covered. Um, how do you prove you're an expert? Well, obviously, your experience. Uh, if you've only been in the business for 20 years and you've been installing for 20 years, well, hey, that's part of your expertise. Uh, if you've taken any seminars and either my seminars or you've gone to Stone Expo or coverings or any of those, and you've you've attended a seminar, I don't care if it's a 30-minute seminar, it's it's part of your experience. This this radio show, you know, I listen to the Stone and Tile show, and they cover a lot of good informational material. Uh, that's part of your experience. You're going to have to now. Of course, you can write articles, you can write books, like I do. You can present seminars and presentations to different groups. Uh, you know, your knowledge. Do you belong to any trade associations, the Natural Stone Institute, the NTCA, whatever? That's that's all part of part of your ex experience itself. Um, you're going to have to put together what they call a CV. You'll hear that term a lot from attorneys. And what a CV is, is stands for, it's a Latin term, which is curriculum vitae. And what that basically is is your resume. And, um, you know, in my class, I show you how to do that. Uh, it, it's, it can be simple or it can be, you know, quite difficult to do. But basically, you're listing all your experiences. You're listing the projects you've done. You've listed any articles you've written, any presentations. Everything that I just covered, you're listing in a, 
CV, or if you want to call it a resume. Attorneys don't call it a resume. They actually call it a CV, so you'll want to jot that down. That's something I can help you with uh, if you want to uh, get into this particular aspect of it. Okay, so we ha I hinted on types of expert witnesses, and you know the, the types are basically the scientist, the know-it-all, the teacher, the bragger, and the talker. And I, I've ran into those also in attorneys, but from an expert standpoint. I consider myself a teacher. Uh, that's where I'm going in, and I am teaching either the attorney on my side, my client, uh, the jury, the judge, or even the other side. I'm teaching them. Why, why is a five-dot method not an acceptable way to install tile in our industry? Okay, I'm teaching them why. Uh, I'm not being a know-it-all. I'm not bragging about it. Uh, I'm not a talker. I've had, I've seen experts that, you know, and this is in deposition one-on-one -on -one training, which I'm not going to talk too much about here. Where in a deposition you answer the question as it was asked. You don't go on and on with a dissertation about that subject because an attorney's going to take every word that you say and try to use it for, to his favor. So, you know, very simple. Sometimes a yes or no answer is all you really need without an explanation. Uh, and sometimes you need an ex explanation. So what do we do as experts? Obviously, we do inspections. Uh, we do research, as I mentioned. We formulate an opinion. Uh, we'll attend a deposition. In other words, we may be deposed, or you may sit in on a deposition of the opposing expert, and I've been there as well. You'll go to trial. Uh, you may go to arbitration. Uh, you'll have to write reports in some cases. Some cases, you don't have to write a report. Now, there is a difference, and I'm not going to get too technical here. There's a difference between federal and state laws. You know, state laws will vary from state to state. You know, for example, here in Florida, we're able to produce what we call a draft report, which is not discoverable, and I'll tell you what discovery means in a minute, uh, which simply means I can write a report, I can put draft on the top of it, I can email it off to my attorney, and he can look at it and make some comments, and I can rewrite it and then submit it as a final report. Now, in some states, a draft report is discoverable. In other words, you have to show that uh, to opposing counsel, which can be uh, can be a little tricky and it, it can hurt you in certain ways. So, those are the type of questions you need to ask. Because a lot of times, while we're on that subject, I'll get attorneys that don't want me to write a report at all. They just want it verbal. They would rather talk to me on the telephone. You know, what's your opinion? Uh, write the report, but don't send it to me. Uh, call me up and let me read the report and then, you know, suggest changes that now they're, what they're not going to do, because it's not, it's against their, their ethics, is they can't tell you your opinion, but they might be able to tell you, well, why don't you word it this way? Or uh, can you say it in a different way? Or uh, while you were out there, did you notice this? Make sure you mention that uh, in your report. So they will not change your opinion. It should not change your opinion. Uh, but they can't tell you how to format it. I just had a case uh, here that I'm, that I'm working on where the attorneys actually called me, had several conference calls, um, told them what my opinion is. They took careful notes uh, with, that, with that opinion, and they generated a report. And the report was 89 pages long, all in legalese. I had to have another conference call to understand what I was saying, uh, but you may have that, that, that. So you want to be careful what you record. Uh, my only note-taking that I do on inspections, if it's a legal case, is simply a camera. 
my cell phone, in other words. Uh, I don't say anything on the inspection. I don't write anything down. I don't take any notes. And I know that's kind of difficult for some of you because my camera is my notes. Because the notes become discoverable. In other words, the opposing counsel can actually see your notes. Uh, so in other words, we don't have a client attorney privilege like the client does. We don't have that as an expert. We're basically an open book, and everything we do is discoverable, which is why a lot of attorneys don't want anything in emails because emails are discoverable, don't want anything in writing. They would rather have you call. So all your notes, your photographs, your conversations, and you have to be careful what you say because that can come up at a later date. Um, it's known as work product. Uh, there is attorney-client protection, but remember, you're not the client. You're the expert. does not apply to experts in this case. Um, your conversations, I mentioned, are also disclosed. So if you go on uh, an inspection and there's three or four people there and you say something uh, to somebody, that could come up later on in a deposition. Well, while you were on that inspection, I noticed that you told Mrs. Smith uh, that this particular tile is not the tile you would choose. That'll come up, so you've got to be really, really careful. I try too much when I go on inspection. If I'm pressed and they ask me, well, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think, I'll just simply say, well, I need to gather all this information. I need to go back and do a little research, then I'll formulate an opinion. That way they can't press you uh, for anything. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the, some of the technical terms. or Actually, before we do that, let's talk about how an attorney hires you. So you get a telephone call. They're looking for an expert. And you tell them what your experience is. They tell you a little bit about the case. And they say, okay, you're an expert. How do I hire you? What you need to do is put together what is known as an engagement letter. And I have an example of this. And If you attend the class, you'll get several samples of what an engagement letter does. But it basically says that, you know, you're going to hire me. These are my fees. Uh, I require a retainer fee. Just like an attorney would, I require $2,500 up, up front as a retainer fee to hire me. And it becomes a legal document. They sign it, and now you're officially hired. Now, you want to make sure on that engagement letter you talk about things like expenses, who pays for the travel, and, and your accommodations. Do you pay for it and get reimbursed, or do they pay for it ahead of time? And I've done it both ways. Uh, have the attorney sign off on it, and I will not start a case until I have my retainer. All right, let's talk about you go out, you do the inspection, you want to write your report, um, if they require a report. And sometimes they do, most of the times they do, but there are some cases where they don't require a report or they require that report a little bit later on. What do you want to put in that report? Well, you want to put down your qualifications. You want to put down a description of the experts, you know, document review, the research, everything that you looked at, uh, including your investigation. And then finally, your opinion. Uh, which is extremely impo extremely important. Now, for civil cases, which means you know, in federal courts, for example, uh, your reports must comply to certain rules. And you know, this is something I don't have to show you. Your attorney's going to format it because it's going to it's going to vary uh, from state to state, whether it's federal, state, local, or, or whatever. Uh, you'll have a complete statement of all your opinions. The witnesses will express. Uh, and the basis for the reasons for them. So you just can't say, ah, that's a crappy installation. You've got to give them a, you know, a reason for that and what you back that information off. So you want the facts or data you considered. You know, did you go to the design manual? Did you go to the NTCA uh, specification? Did you go to ASTM? You know, where did you go to formulate that opinion or help you formulate uh, that, that opinion? Um, you want to summarize all that. 
course, your qualifications, as, as I mentioned. Uh, you may be asked to list some of the other cases that you've had, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, it's a learning process, but, you know, once you get used to doing it, it, it can be really, really lucrative. All right, let me stop there for a second and give out the telephone number if anybody has any questions of what I've covered so far. Uh, the call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And um, if you want to send me an email, go ahead and uh, send me an email as well to fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at G mail.com that's f-h-u-e-s-t-o-n at gmail.com i'd be happy to uh, answer those questions all right let's talk about uh some of the some of the other things that you'll need to 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 do as far as an expert goes on billing and collections now there are uh services out there that will do that for you uh there's companies like tasa uh, t-a-s-a uh, ORC, the organizations that actually hire experts, they actually hire you, they tack on their percentage and they do all the billing, you deal you deal with all the expert stuff and they just deal with all the billing, you just bill them. Uh, a lot of times you get hired directly by the attorneys and you will bill them and again, just like a lawyer, you, know, you, bill, you want to keep a log, you want to keep a record of that case, I keep a little composition book here with all my cases in it and every time I get a call, hey, that's 15 minutes, maybe it's an hour. That one case I just mentioned uh, a few uh, minutes ago, I've been on the phone sometimes an hour. That's an hour. That's a billable hour. That's not that's not free. So you want to bill attorney does. Uh, it'll include any any uh, research you do, any copies that you make, things of that nature. Now the deposition. What is a deposition? Basically, it's the testimony of a party or a witness. In other words, attorneys are basically going to ask you questions under oath, and a lot of those questions they will ask you again if it goes to trial. So. Um, it's generally not too formal in, in the sense that, you know, you have to go in with a suit and tie. I rarely go in with a suit and tie uh, for a deposition. I do in court, uh, but not for a deposition. But I dress with business attire. I, I mean, I'm not going to go show up in flip-flops and shorts by any means. So um, so there'll be, you know, what what are the type of questions they're going to ask you? Well, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to ask you about your qualifications. And some of them get very, very detailed. I've had some depositions they've taken an hour to go over exactly uh, what your qualifications are. And I've had others 10 minutes, and I've had some where none whatsoever. They just, you know, they've seen your CV. They know you're qualified. They're not going to question it, but uh, many times they do. So they're going to ask you, you know, how you were hired, what you're getting paid, um, what do you think your purpose is or function in this case, uh, do you think the party that you retain should win the case, uh, at trial, will you try to persuade the jury? Uh, are you trying to help retain counsel with this case? Should the jury be suspicious of expert witnesses' offers, diametrically opposed opinions? You know, so just just things like that. What you want to do in a deposition, this is this is one piece of advice I'll give you when it comes to a deposition, is to listen. Listen very carefully to the question. If you don't understand the question, ask them to repeat the question. Tip number two, if there's, a, if there's not a yes or no question, uh, or answer, I'm sorry, if there's not a yes or no question, just simply state, I can't answer that with a yes or no question. Would you like me to explain? 
99% of the time they're going to say, okay, yes, explain why you can't answer that, yes or no. That that particularly works in a in a trial because a judge is going to say, yeah, I want to know why it can't be a yes or no question. So remember, this isn't TV. It's not Perry Mason. You know, it's not, not you know, a court show. It's, you know, you're the expert. You're edu- there educating. So there will be questions where you just can't answer a yes or no. So, be you know, be very, very careful about that. Um, they might ask you, do you spend 100% of your time as an expert witness? And your answer to that would be no. I'm a consultant. I do other things. I consult on projects that are not legal cases. Uh, they're, they're trying to get you into that hired gun. Oh, well, you just, you know, this is all you do is you appear in court. And some there, there are some experts out there, not in our field that I know of, that that's all they do. Uh, I know medical I know medical doctors that do that. That's all they do. They're no longer practicing, and all they do is appear in court as an expert. That's not what you want to do. I, I just don't. Personally, I don't think that's a good good idea. Um, so there's a whole list of questions you can um I have in my manual for the inspection class. Uh, you can also go to the SEEK books, you know, SEEK Experts, S-E-A-K, that I, I had mentioned before, and there's several books that, that will that will prep you. And also your attorney will prep you. If you, if you don't have a lot of experience in depositions, um, your attorney will prep you for that. They'll they'll either sit down with you, get you on the telephone, they'll ask you sample questions. Uh, they're, they're going to coach you, I guess is the word. They're not going to tell you what to answer. Uh, they may say, well, that answer is a little bit too long. You might want to shorten it, or I'm not sure I would say it that way. So, you know, things of that nature uh, you want to be careful of. So I, I could spend, you know, days talking about all the questions that I've been asked over the years, but I'm just trying to give you an overall uh, general idea. Uh, you know, where you got your name from, uh, have you worked with this attorney before, what issues do you have with this case, they're going to want to see all your paperwork, uh, they're going to want to see everything that you've ever used or uh, to formulate that opinion, uh, you know, who are the parties involved, who is opposed, I mean, just just a bunch of different things. So that's that's your engagement level letter, and like I said, um, some of the legal terms, I went over one, deposition, uh, that's where they come in and uh, they, they dispose you, they depose you, in other words, they ask you a question. Uh, you have what they call interrogatories. You might be asked to prepare interrogatories, and those are basically written questions allowed under what they call the rules of civil procedure, which are proponed, uh, propounded by uh, part to another party. So in other words, they may have a series of, of questions that you have to answer in writing, and that goes to the opposing counsel. Discovery. Discovery is the phase of the uh, of the lawsuit where they discover everything. They discover, you know, and you may help here. You may say, I need to know what setting materials were used. I need to know the names of this of of the people doing the work. Uh, you know, this is all the things that you'll dis- that, that you'll that an attorney will do in what they call the discovery phase of the trial. So that's what discovery means. Any reports that you've written, any any communication between you and the attorney, that's all part or or anyone out for that matter concerning that case is part of the discovery. So these are basically pretrial activities that can be used to obtain facts and information about the case you're working on from the other party in order to assist the requesting party's proposal for trial. So, you know, one of one of the things that, that I've learned over the years, it's, it's not TV. It's not like, you know, there's there's things you haven't ever, you know, there, there's no surprises, in other words, and that's what attorneys try to do is avoid all the surprises. Not to say there aren't, because I've had several, but uh, in general, all those type of things uh, will show up in a in a in discovery in your deposition. Um, you will hear the word 
um, where you get a subpoena. And a subpoena is a command uh, by the court to appear at a certain time and place to give testimony under a certain matter. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll hear you have a subpoena, ducis tecum, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That's an Italian word, I mean a Latin word. Uh, that simply means you're required to produce, you know, your books, your papers, any information or documents that you use. You may have to sign an affidavit, which is basically a written statement that you take under oath uh, in front of an officer of the court or to notary public or any other person that has that, that authority uh, to do so. So your CV or resume we talked about, uh, too much information can get you in trouble. And what I mean by that is talking too much. You don't need to give them a, a dissertation on uh on what your opinion is unless they unless they ask for it. Uh, marketing your services, uh, you just need to get your word out there. Like I said, there's agencies out there like TASA, like ORC, uh, several of them out there. Do, Google, do, do a Google search, expert witnesses, and a ton of them will come up. Some of them are free to you since they charge a fee on top of what you charge per hour, and some of them you have to pay for. In other words, there's some listings out there. I think expertwitness.com is one where you pay a yearly fee to be listed on on their site um, so those those are basically um, you know in a nutshell and we, we get a little bit more into this in the in the class uh, on what it takes to be an expert and what an expert does again not telling you uh, what your expertise is but uh, telling you what an expert does now you have to take that knowledge and apply it to some of the things that I've talked about here all right, so I will I will end this unless anybody has any questions they want to call in about, which is let me give the number out here one more time, three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight or again my email even after the show or if you're listening to this on the archive, uh just feel free to send me an email to F Houston F H U E S T O N at Gmail dot com. I'll be more than happy to answer your questions. And I'll end with again my special announcement that I am bringing the stone and tile inspection troubleshooting class to Florida. Uh, this year, June 17th uh, through the 20th, it's a four-day class. Uh, it's a great class. Uh, we're doing it just outside of Orlando, north of Orlando, in a town called DeBerry. We're doing it at a, a location called the Stone and Tile School. That's a school that teaches restoration, but we're using their facility for this particular class. Uh, it's a nice little town. It's not, not a crowded town, and uh, you'll enjoy it up there. So anyway, oh, wait, I think we have a telephone call coming in. Uh, let me go ahead and put this individual on the line. You're on the air. This is Fred. How are you? Who is this? Fred, this is Monty. Hey, Monty. How you doing, buddy? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I'm I doing all right. Fine. Doing all right. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Enjoying the uh, enjoying the talk here and the information. It helps me uh, better myself, better my business. You know what Great. you're what you're telling me. Um, so um, I do have a question. I have two questions actually. Do I have time for that? All right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. One is, you know, you talked about the uh, the um, conflict of interest. You know, not really ethics so much, but the conflict of interest. Uh, if you're out on a job site, you know, inspecting it, giving opinions, and then, you know, uh, you, then you come back later to actually do the work. Um, right. You know, how do you handle this when you're the only guy in town? You're the only guy in a you know hundred mile radius or what have you. I mean, you know they've had somebody come in, fly by night guy, what have you, you know, and and you're they're trusting you to begin with to tell them what to right. do to fix the situation, and, and you I know think, that 
they're going to end up going back to the original guy and say, hey, this is what you got to do to fix this. But then it'll, I mean, you know where it goes. So then you, you end up coming later. And I mean, do you, how do you, what do you do with this? Well, I mean, I think you've answered the question. You know, what's going to happen if it goes to, you know, if it goes to the point where it's a deposition mm-hmm. or you're, you know, you're in a trial, if it goes that far and that question comes up, you answer it just like you just did. You said, hey, listen, you know, there's no other fabricators in town for 100 miles. <laughs> you know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, my, my opinion is based on fact, even though I'm, I'm in the industry, even though I fabricate, and even though I can potentially, you know, get this job. I'm basing my opinion on a fact. It's just not me saying, hey, you need a new countertop. <laughs> it's me saying you need a new countertop because this was done, that was done, this was done, and it's not up to industry standards. So I think that's how I would handle it. You know, I mean, yeah. you're going to get grilled, obviously. You know, you know you've been there. <laughs> but uh, that, that's yeah, the best way sure to have. handle it is just, just be honest, you know, be, be up front. You know, why, why would someone want to go to the next fabricator who may be, you know, 100 miles or more away when they've got me right here. And and that applies whether you're a fabricator, an installer, or whatever. So I think that's how I would handle that. And question number two is? I have had a – well, I did have a similar situation, although there were – there are, you know, plenty of other fabricators around. They couldn't find anybody that would come out and look at the thing, you know, to go over the problems, man, let alone, uh, you know, fix it later. So, yeah, I ended up getting both ends of it. Uh, you know, I ended up getting both ends of it. That's so, good. Um, you know, and what you can do there, too, is, I mean, obviously, is, you know, charging-wise, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes you give the customer credit, sometimes you won't charge, you know, and you, and you can mm-hmm. say that, hey, you know, I, I got the job. I didn't charge him for my opinion. You know, that, that's another mm-hmm. valid reason as well. But, yeah, basically what I did was that $500 or what have you ended up being um, credited back on the job, when, you know, when exactly. they called me, you know, so uh, – yeah, I, I felt like that was, you know, fair for them. Oh, oh pickle anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's the best way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, the second question is in regards to um, qualifications um, of, uh, <clears throat> you know, consultant versus expert witness. When you're, right. deal- when you're looking at an individual's, um, let, let's say, you, you know, credit report, uh, you know, financial situation. There are plenty of people in in the industry that are are really wise and smart and experienced, but have had financial difficulties. Does that impact their ability to you know be an effective expert witness? No, I I don't think so. And I, I'm trying to think of all the depositions I've done if I've even ever been asked that question. And, you know, I don't even think I've gotten questions like, you know, have you ever, you know, failed in business? Have you ever been bankrupt? Have you ever, you know, struggled to pay bills? I, I don't recall ever having that question asked yeah. me. And I don't know legally really? whether I, they can, if or, I was can attorney, or not. If I was an attorney and I was coming after a guy, I'd say, you know, how can you be such an expert witness or, so, you know, so, know so much? You couldn't even keep your own business going. Right, and I can you know, say, well, basically, what so, you know, basically you you could answer that by saying, I, I'll give you another example along that line. I've been asked, you know, I've done terrazzo inspections, and you know, I've done lots of terrazzo inspections, and I, I had one attorney ask me, Fred, how can you be considered a terrazzo expert when you've never ported a terrazzo floor a day of your life? No, that's not true. I did one, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> you know, which is which is a valid question, right? I mean, how can I how can I be an expert? Well, you're a forensic expert, and I always say 
If you're a doctor and you operate on somebody's heart, have you had to have a heart attack in order to operate on that heart? No, because you've studied that heart. You've, you've went to medical school. You know, you've done all that stuff. So, you know, when it comes to the financial question, I would answer, well, yeah, sure, I went bankrupt. Sure, I had financial problems. Don't we all at one particular point in time? That doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah. that, that doesn't uh, discredit my education, my experience, and my background. I've learned from that. So I, yeah. I, I think you could well, easily overcome that, that question. Mm-hmm. Well, good answer. <laughs> you know, it was a curiosity more than anything. Yeah, because well, we've all we've all been all there. Right. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. So, hey, good talking to you, Mom. Yeah, good talking. You see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Yeah, absolutely. All I'll right. be there. Very all right, good. Take care, buddy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Yeah, so th- those are some great questions he brought up. And, you know, the financial one is, is one that, you know, we've all been through. You know, I know a lot of us have had businesses that failed, and me no exception. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's a, a, a discredit at all to your experience. If anything, it's a credit to your experience because you've been through that experience. So, anyway. All right, great, great question. If anybody else has an, uh, any other questions, uh, go ahead and send me an email. We're going to wrap things up here again, F Houston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. And again, if you're interested in this seminar coming up on Friday, I'm limiting the number of people. I had the first sign up today, and I just announced this yesterday, so it's going to fill up fast. I would highly recommend that uh, uh, you get in ASAP. Uh, If you need information on it, again, the website, ownforensics.com, and uh, go to the training tab, and you can see it there. Also, my Facebook page, which a lot of you I know are already on. Uh, Every Friday, we do a Failure Friday uh, where we show a different failure, which is is kind of interesting. We get some good good feedback back there, too, and some interesting cases there. So anyway, until next week, I will see everybody again, or I will listen, everybody will listen to me (laughs) again next week at – 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And in the meantime, everyone, have a great weekend. For those people where all the cold weather is, keep warm. I'm warm here already. Uh, This is Fred Houston with the Stone and Tile Show. See everybody next week.